0: So when I started college, I started as a chemical engineering major, and I can tell you that me and science had anything but chemistry.
1: Two months into my uh, second tour in 2008, I was hit by a roadside bomb. I was standing on top of it. And uh, my buddies say that it was the biggest blast that they had seen. It was meant for one of our vehicles, but they triggered it on me anyway.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Jessica Hankin. And I'm Laura Wexler. And this week on the podcast, don't ignore the side quests. Two stories about people taking a winding path to find their professional place. So this term side quests was new to me. Is it new to you? Well, I thought it had something to do with... um,
3: Live action role playing. Well, well. (laughs) Or gaming. Gaming, right? It has to do with gaming. So you have like a main objective, right? You're supposed to like kill somebody or whatever. But then there are all these like side things you can do. And if you're really intent just on like winning or getting to the end of the game, you wouldn't do those. And do you know this because of your husband or your son? Well, Neither, actually. I knew it from the story. As he talks about the side quest thing, and it reminded me of – actually, it did remind me of stuff that that Mike has talked Aww. about. With, yeah, your husband. That some of the most interesting parts of playing a game might be exploring the world, not necessarily like um, pursuing the objective. So this first storyteller is sharing a story about her kind of life path and – having an objective, but taking a windy road to get there. Um, Her name is Tami Oni, and here is her story.
0: When I was a child, I always knew that I wanted to do three things. I wanted to write music, make movies, and design clothes. Now, as the daughter of African immigrants, you can imagine how excited they were when I came to them with this proposal. (laughs) Ironically, creativity is in my DNA. When I was five years old, my father moved back to Nigeria to pursue his dreams of becoming an architect, leaving me and my mom in the US. My mom also was an entrepreneur, and she has lived many lives in this space. Her first business was owning a cleaning company, but she quit because she said people were just too dirty. (laughs) Her second business was a travel agency where she helped people book international trips way before Expedia. And her third business was a transportation company where she helped people get back and forth to their medical appointments. Now seeing this growing up, I definitely thought I had a great case as to why I should be able to pursue a creative life, doing things the way that I chose. And so I went to my mom and told her that I wanted to be an artist, and she simply told me that it was not possible because they don't make any money. (laughs) I later found out she was right, but that's besides the point. And so, destined and determined to do things on my own and to prove to my mom that I could do the same things that she could, at 15 years old and 10 months, I went and got a job at the only place that would take me seriously, Taco Bell. (laughs) (laughs) After school, in the 10th grade, I would work the night shift from 7 to 10 p.m., and I really liked the fact that I was earning a little bit of money. And so the next year, I got my second job and decided that I would double between the two, working at Sears Outlet where I would sell refurbished refrigerators, washers and dryers, and microwaves to anybody who would buy them for a little bit of commission. (laughs) I had my first car note when I was 16 years old, and I thought that I was really, really getting an opportunity to become a new adult so that I could move into this creative life, but what I didn't realize is that I was probably doing things that I shouldn't have been. I really wanted to prove to my mom that I could do things on my own, and so when it was time for me to go to college, I couldn't wait to apply to FIT or Pratt or Berkeley, but my mom reminded me that if I really wanted to live a life where I was gonna make something of myself, I had to actually pursue STEM. So when I started college, I started as a chemical engineering major, and I can tell you that me and science had anything but chemistry. (laughs) It's not my vibe, as you can tell. I changed my major three times and finally, just to graduate, I picked psychology. (laughs) To further spite my parents, when I graduated, I decided that I was going to move to a city that would allow me to pursue my dreams as an artist where I was guaranteed to make zero money. (laughs) New York. At 21 years old, I moved to New York with $600, and I got my first job in the meatpacking district working as a barista serving beer to people in a beer garden who also hated their jobs. (laughs) My plan was very simple. I was going to make it as a starving artist, and I was going to blow up and be the biggest person you'd ever seen on any billboards. And so alongside a sound engineer, I had come up with a plan. I made a friend with a guy who worked at a really big studio. He also wanted to be a producer. And so we made a plan that after I got off of work, we would work in the studio when everyone was gone and we would write songs together and pitch them to big artists. The only problem is that I got off of work at three o'clock in the morning. And so when I would get off work at 3 a.m., I would make my way uptown and we would work in the studio from 3 a.m. until seven o'clock in the morning. We had to be out before 9 a.m. when the real session started, and we did this every single day for a year. Yeah. (laughs) In true New York fashion, I got attacked on the train by a crazy homeless person, and I decided that I was no longer going to risk my life trying to work late at night. And after talking to a friend, they suggested that I try to get a job in a space that still allowed me to be creative, but probably gave me better hours in health insurance. So after taking that advice, I did some research and found out about this space called advertising, which I had never heard of. Now ironically, I had over six years of sales experience at 22, but I had never realized that there was a world around us that literally was driven by ads. Everywhere you go, whether it's on TV, on a billboard, in a magazine, there's an advertisement right in front of you, and someone was making it. So I took a job as an executive assistant where I would be Um, assisting seven creative directors and one general manager for the beautiful price of $38,000 a year (laughs) where my job was to get coffee manage schedules and do expenses and even almost going to Paris (laughs) this is a true story the pay was terrible but the experience was invaluable I got to see how some of the biggest campaigns in the world were created, and I decided to add to my long list of things that I wanted to do, that I wanted to be a creative director. And so I worked my way up building my portfolio, and I made a deal with this agency that if I kept working there under these conditions, they had to let me build my book. So I worked there for two years, I learned everything I needed to learn from them, and then I quit. I got a real job in advertising, and simultaneously I was still recording and writing songs for independent artists before I decided that I would soon put out my own music. Eventually, 10 plus years, (laughs) I finally actually did become a creative director, and I realized that there are different ways that I can still trivialize my parents as to what I'm doing with my life. (laughs) They had no idea what exactly a creative director or anyone in advertising did, but at least I was making a little bit of money. I realized also that in this past I could still be creative and still be successful doing all the things that I wanted to do. I was still putting out music, I was writing scripts, but there were still different ways in which I felt like I wasn't being, meeting up with my peers because I hadn't done it the way in which I had set out from the beginning. Funny enough, a lot of people in music actually don't make money, which is why you see Snoop Dogg in commercials every other day. <laughs> Because the music industry is constantly changing and it's requiring artists to find creative ways to make money outside of their music. You'll see artists getting brand campaigns, always looking for ways in which they can have creative partnerships, and now I am actually the person creating it, saying who I want to be in these commercials. I had one more thing that I wanted to do. I said I wanted to make music, I wanted to write scripts, and I wanted to create fashion. And so, the easiest way to do that is that I got pregnant. (laughs) There's some things that happen in between that, but for the sake of time, just go with me. (laughs) And I ended up realizing that there was nothing to wear that's for the cool moms who have things to do. And so I started designing clothes, and I started realizing that my creative path didn't have to be one that was making sense to everyone else as long as it made sense to me. I also realized that if your parents ask you to become a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, you don't have to do it, and you can actually be like me. But if you really want to make them happy, you can just marry one.
2: <laughs> one of the things you know, that, that Tammy starts this story with that I think is so important to just the narrative is the fact that
3: she's a child of of immigrants like saying you want to be an artist is like saying oh everything you sacrifice to come you know to come here to this country is all in vain because i'm going to be a broke artist yeah which you know didn't turn out to be exactly yeah but but i feel like that is yeah that's that's a familiar um refrain before we get to this next story we are going to take a quick break This
2: next story is from Louis Rosa, and he is a former military, as you'll learn, and he also turned down a windy road to a different outcome for himself, so take a listen.
1: So my name is Louis Rosa. I was wounded in Iraq back in 2008. That is where I lost the legs, the arm, as you can see, but some injuries that you can't see, I'm actually completely deaf. I've lost all hearing in both ears, and I have two cochlear implants. In. I can hear it really well, and it it is. Uh, if you want to know how it works, ask somebody else. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, does anybody here know the difference between a fairy tale and an army story? <laughs> a fairy tale begins "Once upon a time." An army story begins, "No shit, there I was." So. No shit. There I was. Surrounded by morons, basically. It is my first day of basic training. We're learning how to walk. Uh, how to, yeah, you're learning how to walk. You're literally learning how to walk, marching. And you'd be surprised how many people don't know how to walk. And, and so we're standing in formation, and all of a sudden things kind of get crazy. Uh, drill sergeants kind of start whispering at each other, and they start moving around. Uh, the date... Was September 11, 2001. My first day of basic training was the day that the planes hit. And my father was in the army as well. He did his 20 years. Uh, he went to basic training in the 80s. And before I left for my basic training, he's like, You know, the drill sergeants tried to pretend like the Russians had invaded. It, yeah, they. they Since you're cut off from the world, you have no idea. And they're going to, they, you know, did these things, told us this and that. And so when the drill sergeant said that our country had been attacked, I'm like, my dad told me about this. (laughs) I know what you're doing. Holy crap. I was wrong. (laughs) But but from the very beginning, I knew exactly what I was going to do. But that's exactly what I wanted to do. I, despite the way I look, I absolutely loved my job. I was infantry. And all I wanted to do was go out there and be you know a hyperactive kid with too many toys, so I did that. And I went in, and on my first day, luckily it's what I signed up for because you can see some people's faces. We were we were a country at peace. Everybody was joining the the army to get the college money, right? So you got uh, infantry pays the most college money because we uh, you need to get some of those people to join, uh, but. They, they, it didn't matter for me. It didn't matter at all. I loved my job, and so my first tour in Iraq, my first invasion was 2003, and that was for the invasion of Iraq. And my unit actually was on spearhead in, uh, with 30th Infantry Division, and I was a Bradley driver. Bradley's basically a small tank, and it was an interesting war. After like a month of fighting, of being on the front. I'm like this is too easy and it was. The entire war we only took, uh, my company took one casualty in one year. One serious casualty. Uh, it, was, it was a different world. They tried to fight us the way that we fight and we just crushed them. And then that's when they changed to the insurgency. And that's where the entire world changed. When we got there in '03, my unit was also the ones that, uh, we took the airfields at I'm International Airport. And after that, they moved us and they moved us to the palace. That was nice. Then, after that, we were doing patrols in the city and the people loved us. So, fast forward to 2008, you couldn't talk to anybody. There there was nothing going on. If you left your post, the streets cleared. They were gone. Nobody wanted to talk to you, look at you, have anything to do with you. And so, two months into my uh, second tour in 2008, I was hit by a roadside bomb. I was standing on top of it. And it, uh, my buddies say that it was the biggest blast that they had seen. It, it was meant for one of our vehicles, but they triggered it on me anyway. Uh, but as, as odd as it may sound, this, this is an occupational hazard for us. This wasn't anything new to me. I have friends that have lost limbs. And, the entire, and I volunteered to go uh, on that second tour because my best friend was killed the year before. And I was a recruiter in Miami, actually. My very cush job and I hated the crap out of it so I wanted to get out and I volunteered and they thought the the recruiting command thought that they were uh, pulling one over on me it's like we're gonna send them to the unit that's deployed immediately ha 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 let's see how he likes that It's like I love that but uh, two months after arriving in country is when I got hit it's very quick and this brings me this brings me to my story because my story is about reinventing yourself so I am I am an artist now uh, and, and I, I say that kind of loosely because I just graduated art school I graduated from MICA uh, this semester Yay! Uh, general fine arts uh, mostly portrait painting. I'm mostly a portrait painter I'm doing some sculptures now though uh, but going from infantry I mean, my only job, my only care in the entire world was to go out there and run at the people that are shooting at you, and then you go, shoot them, don't let them shoot you, and this is this my job, it's just being a grunt, and we love that term grunt, because this what we do, we're just Neanderthals with bigger sticks, and I loved it, so when this happens to me, I can't exactly do the same thing anymore, I got, I had to reinvent myself, but it didn't happen all at once, you know? I. I was recovering, I would say, for those first 10 years, and I was retired. They paid me decent enough to be retired. I was fortunate enough to be so unfortunate, is kind of how I put it. But I got bored, it wasn't me. I, I, this isn't who I am, just sitting around and doing nothing type. And I, I realized, I, and one of the things that I was doing kind of on my own is I was helping people. I'd, I'd go speak at events, I'd go speak to underprivileged schools, I would speak to churches, I would speak to whoever asked me to. And I, I realized I can help people. It's like, you know how I, how I can help people? I can go be an artist. Uh, I, I, well, hold on. An art therapist, excuse me. I started all of this because art therapy helped me out so immensely that I wanted to give that back to the soldiers that, uh, that might need it. And at the same time, I want to be able to tell them that Yes, you can. You know, when I, uh, one of my therapists had asked me, my physical therapist asked me, he's like, well, who do you look up to? I was like, I don't really have anybody to look up to. There's nobody in my position that has done much of anything. This is pretty new to, I was only about the third soldier to survive a triple amputation. Uh, that was like, yeah, three or four, something like that. Just immense. And I was the worst casualty they had seen when I first came in unfortunately i did, I wanted the worst casualty ever uh, the very next year after I got hit was the first quadruple amputee that's to survive his injuries uh, he lives in Maryland too kind of kind of stay close to Walter Reed, but I wanted to help that 's what i do I just wanted to help i wanted I always want to get back and so I started my my rap to be an art therapist I started over at a CCBC, the community college. And I did my art classes. I'm like, oh, this is, this is pretty fun. I did my psychology classes and I absolutely loved them. And the art started to get better and it got better and it got better. And I did, got to a point where I'm like, maybe I can do something with this. And so I decided to just go head first into that. You know, just put all my energy, all my drive. It's not what I wanted to do when I got there, but I think the best message I can have is if if you're stuck somewhere, if you know you want to do something else, just go. Start doing. and But don't ignore those little, uh, I'm a big video gamer, those side quests. <laughs> yeah? Sometimes they'll lead you in really good ways. And that's what I did. I'm like, well, this is working. Let me... Let me give it a try. you got to trust the process. Sometimes, if you just keep going, you'll find yourself in somewhere new, somewhere amazing, somewhere you never thought you were going to be. I had to try. That's all I would say to everybody else.
3: someone going from you know something so opposite to what they end yeah. up doing you know he says in the beginning of the story likes shooting things and stuff like that and then ends as an art therapist and a portrait painter of all things i love that yeah the
2: portrait if you can uh, google it's l-u-i-s rosa his self-portrait is online it's breathtaking it's amazing and it's just so
3: big and um wonderfully nude wonderfully nude Um, I wish I could say that about myself Um, anyway um, thank you so much for listening to our episode this week Um, we want to thank Maureen Harvey for producing and we'll be back soon with more stories from the stoop